And so we come to our humbling passage here this morning where we're right to ask, is life, my life, really all about me? Or is it about him? Is it about Christ? So to see this, let's read this passage here. 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1. May the Lord help us and humble us at the reading of his true word today. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord now even as i read that to you you see yourself that this is no doubt a humbling passage (laughs) and of course you know this is also mother's day and in light of it being Mother's Day, I want to challenge you with something. You know, I think the Bible is challenging us with this all the time. This passage is no doubt, as you can see for yourself right now, I just read it, it is no doubt exalting God, right? You can see that without me even saying anything. You've got that. It is exalting God. Yet on days like this one, On Mother's Day or even on Father's Day, or maybe even some other holiday, we might think, now I will exalt God over here, I'll give him praise, I'll give him glory, and so on, but then I'll go and be a mother, be a father, be whatever, and do this and that over here. And so we have these kind of division, this kind of division between exalting God and what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a father and what it means to be an employee and what it means to be whatever. This total divide between exalting God where you can come here on a Sunday morning and praise him and then go home and do nothing of that sort whatsoever as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, and so on. We think, well, this passage right here certainly doesn't have anything to say for us, for mothers, for on Mother's Day, right? I mean, this is just about God. <laughs> yeah, friends, it's just the opposite. And not just that, but this passage should even be a corrective for us. That if you have thought of that, exalting God, being a mother, father, and so on, with that divided sort of thing, That is not to be. Exalting God, exaltation in the cross, 
exalting in the wisdom from God, exalting Jesus Christ is central to true motherhood and to everything. So this is related to mothers on Mother's Day. And we'll see this even more as we go on. But the problem is, is we don't see that. Or at least maybe you don't see it. And when I read this, you're like, well, come on, pastor. I don't see mothers in this passage. It's Mother's Day. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, I remember one pastor telling me at the end of a sermon he preached, they were like, that was a good sermon, pastor, but what does it have to do with Mother's Day? Well, isn't that the problem? That you could go in, at the end of this service and you could say, well, there's passages on Mother's Day and this isn't one of them. Well, I think we need to have a broader, more complete view of what God's word is doing in you every time we gather. It is for mothers and it's for fathers and it's for all of us every time we come to it. And so these verses here, they are aimed at humbling us, right? <laughs> They're aimed at exalting God. And this is what is being heralded, gloried, and shouted from the rooftops here, right? Which is directly relevant for Mother's Day and is directly relevant to every day. Is not exalting God relevant to everything you do? And if you think it's not... It's only sin that would make you think otherwise. It's only the fall that would make you think, well, well, yeah, we need to have a divide between these things. And so our passage begins right there then. It begins with God, and it begins with God's incredible calling. God's incredible calling. So how do we get here? Well, first, Paul started off his letter... You remember, if you were here as we kind of began it and started walking through it, he began magnifying God's grace. He began magnifying God's calling. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And then, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then, closer to our passage here, after giving his appeal to unity, which we heard back in verse 10, Paul set forth Christ as central to our unity and the cross of Christ as central within all of that. And so in verses 22 through 24, he wrote, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So now at this point in our verses... Paul, having just said that in verse 24, he now zeroes in on that, specifically on God's calling, on how 
he called them, the Corinthians, and us, if you know Christ this morning, he called you from your dead spiritual state. And what he did when he called you out, he then breathed life into your spiritually dead souls, and then you arose and gladly ran to Jesus Christ as your one and only hope for salvation. So that's God's calling. And even as he's focusing on God's calling here, Paul is, he's highlighting what they were when God called them, when he called them. So he's correcting various shades of pride among the Corinthians. And they were rather prideful in ways that are just odd. And we'll see that as we continue on in the letter to the Corinthians. We won't see it directly here, but we'll see it later. We have actually seen some of this already where they have thought or they may have thought that who they followed was reason to boast, right? So 1 Corinthians 1.12, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ, right? And so they're like, man, you know who I follow? You follow him? Well, I follow this guy, you know? They had this kind of boasting going on with that, but then even boasting within themselves. They thought, they were pretty great. You know, like, I'm pretty hot stuff here. Have you seen the kind of spiritual gifts I have? I mean, they're incredible. I'm, I'm amazing, right? I mean, th- this, is, this is what's going on within the Corinthian church, and this is part of why he talks about the spiritual gifts later, because he is correcting them. And that's why he's correcting them here also. He is aiming at this moment, these people who are thinking high and mightily of themselves, He's aiming to crush all of that. (laughs) And he really does. (laughs) So in no certain uncertain terms, he reminds them that when God called them, they were anything but great. So God called them not so that their worldly greatness would astound everyone, but so that their lack of worldliness would confound everyone. They weren't wise, as in scholars extraordinaire. They didn't have PhDs and all this stuff. They didn't have powerful, influential positions in the world. They weren't of noble birth. They weren't born into wealth and to rank and to station. What were they? Well, they were just normal people. And actually, maybe even for us, we would think, well, they're below normal people. They're below normal Joes. And this is even what Paul essentially says. He, he says that they, in verses 27 to 28, he says, they were nothing. <laughs> they were nothings. And so he says that in verse 28, even things that are not, to bring no- to nothing things that are. So he's saying right there, you were nothing. <laughs> there is nothing special about you whatsoever. You know, and all that to shame the world. To show that the world's wisdom is foolishness. And so these people, the Corinthians, this church, they were considered as dumb, as helpless, as insufficient. They were looked down upon, they were worthless, and they were worthy of being ignored. 
low and despised, all these things he says there, weak in the world to shame the strong and so on, foolish in the world to shame the wise. Now, as you hear all that, it's, it's sobering to consider all of this. What he's saying here, Paul isn't just kind of using rhetoric here. They actually really were considered the scum of the earth within their society. Because they kind of were. So just to give you a glimpse into this, Celsus, he's an early philosopher, an adversary of the Christian faith in the second century. He mocked early Christians because he saw this. He looked at the church and he's like, what? Those people? And so he says, by the fact that they themselves admit that these people are worthy of their God, they show that they want and are able to convince only the foolish, dishonorable, and stupid, and only slaves, women, and children. That's how they saw the church. I mean, that's who made up the church, is these people that you'd be like, there's no way. You know, they're like, really? That's... The, the God who they say they worship, they, that's who he's calling people, you know, calling people to himself. These are the kinds of people he's calling to himself, really? Well, Celsus, this unbeliever, sees this and he's like, what? Ridiculous. Now we know, of course, the gospel is not limited to those. And what I mean, it's for everyone. So for the CEO, for the millionaire, for anyone and everyone. But just see this in the early church, right? See who made up the early church at this point. And the point is, is that God chose them. Those people. <laughs> and as we see this, it makes me think, I mean, what are we as the church doing then? Are we taking the gospel only to those who we think are worthy of it? Or are we taking it to all people, everywhere? And I think we might actually be able to find the answer to that question. Well, how? Well, who, who are those in our churches? Are they people like this? I mean, would you be fine with people like this coming in here? And I mean, really, prostitute comes in, does not know Christ. LGBTQ, transgendered person comes in and sits right beside you. How would you respond? So where are such as these in our churches? I'm not saying they're not there. But where are they? Are we, are we even thinking of them? Well, it seems like they matter quite a bit. They made up the early church. So why aren't we going to those? We need to ask, have we only preached a respectable gospel? If you fit a certain mold, you can be part of that. But if you don't, no. 
sorry. Actually, we're not sorry. We don't want you here. And I think, I think oftentimes, perhaps, the church, whether it knows it or not, that's sometimes the message it gives off. We need to preach the gospel to everyone. We do need to go to the hard places. We need to go anywhere and everywhere. You know, I've, I was talking to someone about this this past week, about how there's this difference between Madison and Huntsville, and some people look down on those in Huntsville. And I wonder, for us as believers, if this is part of it. We look down on them for a reason very similar to this. We think we're above them. We're better than them. Well, as Paul, he says all this. He makes clear in verse 29, then, that no boasting is allowed. No boasting is allowed. So verse 29, God chose the lowly so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Not even one person. So he did all this to shame the wise, to shame the strong, to bring to nothing those who think they're something. And so this is true of us also. I mean, regardless of when you were called by God or even regardless of what you are now, God chose you not to be a shining reflection of the world, but to reflect and to shine to the world Christ. So here we see the freedom and the sovereignty of God here. We see the truth of Psalm 135, 6, where it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. God chose you, not you. Like if it was left up to you, no hope for any one of us. I mean, you never have would have been convinced, no matter how many apologetic arguments you may have heard. No matter how many things came your way, your answer until you died would have been no. And so there is no basis for any of us to boast. Not even one reason. Not even one person here. I mean, who, who can boast? How, how much have you done to gain salvation with God? Raise your hand. You know? I mean, the only answer is zero. <laughs> Nothing. And so there is not, for us as believers, there's not a place. And there must not be a place within us or in us or among us for a pride-filled spirituality. Well, we think at this point, no matter how many, t- many years you may have been a believer... There's some reason you have to boast in yourself. I mean, 40 years, 50 years, still no reason. And there is no boasting allowed. And so this is meant to be humbling for them. And of course, it's meant to be humbling for us as well. We're meant to see life is not all about you. Life is not all about you. I mean, is this not a humbling passage for Mother's Day? For our good and for God's glory. God wants you to hear this today, mothers. And wants all of us to hear this today. 
All of us, mothers, fathers, wives, husbands, sons, daughters, need to see life is not about you. It's about God. Now let me ask you, how might knowing this, even embracing this, clarify who you are as a mother, as a father, as a wife, as a husband? as a son, and as a daughter. Do you not see how this is relevant for Mother's Day, for you as a mother? How might it focus your life, even your aims, your days, your months, your years, how you're raising your children? You're not aiming them to exalt you. You're aiming them to exalt God. It's not about you. It's not about the caliber of your abilities and your knowledge and your strength or even your weaknesses. God chose you and me in order to make your life and my life about him. That's to be the direction of everything we do. Whoever you are and whatever you do. Also, So life's not about you, but also life in Christ is not about you either. No matter who you are, you did not get yourself here. (laughs) You know, it makes me think of a danger I've seen in parenting children. And by that, I mean in our home, (laughs) When, when I parent and when we parent. And we have talked about this. You know, as parents, of course, right, we care about our children. Right? I mean, we love them. And as part of that, we discipline them too, right? Now, if you're like, well, I don't do that. Well, let me just encourage you that love does discipline. And God disciplines his children because he loves them. So you need to too. And so we care about our children and we discipline them. But... As you do that, as you see your children being crazy and doing all these things, just remember, as they sin, and they do sin, and you can say that. I've known parents who will not say their children sin, but they do. As you see, as they sin, just remember this passage. God chose you not because you're better than your children, but because of his grace. As you parent, you can be tempted to say, how dare you act like a sinner, right? Man, I would never wait, actually. I have acted like that before, right? We can have this legalistic subtracting the gospel from our parenting kind of parenting and we forget the gospel they're sinners they act like sinners because they're sinners (laughs) and God has put you there to parent them to disciple them to point them to God and to Christ so could it be that even in that all those struggles 
God is calling you to show your children the answer to their sin. The answer is not perfection to maintain the cultural mores for the family. It's not about being good boys and good girls. It's not moralism. Let me tell you, if they go out of your home and what they have learned is to be good boys and good girls and that's it, you have not done your job. Have you taught them about Jesus Christ? That is your central calling as a parent. Not perfection. Not good boys, not good girls. Not moralism. It's Christ. And that for you also, right? You don't say to your children, you need Christ, but I don't. You say, you need Christ. And you know how you're sinning right now? I've done that too with my parents. And you know what that does? It's actually pointing you to your need, son, daughter. You are a sinner and you need Jesus. You don't need me. You need him. You know who I need? I need Jesus too. That's what we're to do. And so as we consider all these things, as we consider our calling then, as Paul is calling us to do, Paul continues and urges, let your only boast be in the Lord. Let your only boast be in the Lord. You see, Paul is gladly exalting God and lifting him high. And in so doing, God is calling all of us to humility. Can we just say that pride is such a fiend, right? <laughs> he is such an ongoing enemy to our walk with Christ, right? I mean, how many of you like pride? Man, I just love bragging. Right? I mean, I mean, how many of us just love making much of ourselves? Well, maybe some, some do. I don't know. Maybe you struggle with that. But we all struggle with that, right? That's why pride is a fiend and it's an enemy. We do think highly of ourselves. We do want to make much of ourselves. And that's why this passage is so in our face. And so I think our response to that the enemy of pride as believers is, Lord, help us. Lord, make us humble. Make me humble. Make us more like Christ. Well, if that's your plea and your prayer, then Paul, he goes on here to aim us in that direction. Your prayer is about to be answered. <laughs> and so you see... It's only because of God that you've been redeemed. It's only because of God that you've been redeemed. So verse 30, the first part. And because of him, God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. And so this is meant to take the wind out of the sails of our boat called pride. If you only became a Christian because of God... That means the only reason you are a Christian is because of God. And the only reason you will still be a Christian 10 years from now is what? Because of God. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that just bring rest to your soul? 
not you. I mean, how good it would do us to make that our continual thought, our continual meditation, what Paul says here, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And we just say, amen. Rather than going like, what? I didn't do anything. What? I did something, you know? None of that. It's just because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And you just rest. And you exalt God. You praise him. You glorify him. And you say, thank you, Lord. Otherwise, no hope for me. So it's only because of God. And also, it's only because of Jesus. You're redeemed. It's only because of Jesus. So Jesus was and is everything you and I aren't. So in the midst of the world, we are told in no uncertain terms that you don't need to go and search the world for the wisdom from God. You don't need to go into India. You don't need to go into all the variety of religions in the world and search them out and figure out what they believe. And then you come away and you say, all right, which one do I believe? Those are not the wisdom from God. You can search the entirety of the world and you will not find it because Jesus is the wisdom from God. That's what this verse says here. And so these three words here, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, those are all what the wisdom from God, Christ, gets you. I'll just say it again. Those three, righteous, sanctification, and redemption, those are all what the wisdom from God, from Jesus Christ, what they get you. You don't need to go searching the world for righteousness. You don't need to be a boy, good boy or good girl. You don't need baptism or mass or good works. You don't need moralism. You just need Jesus. We are righteous because of his righteousness. Also in Christ, we are sanctified. We're set apart, the holy ones, because he is our sanctification. In Christ, we are redeemed, delivered from sin, delivered from death, and delivered from hell forever because he is our redemption. He is the wisdom from God. And all of this because of God. So in view of this, Paul, he gladly makes clear here in light of God and what God has done, now you can boast. <laughs> With this, much boasting is allowed. Verse 31. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul, he is quoting here from the passage that Tyler read from a moment ago, from Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. 
Our only basis for boasting is God. Not us, God. Such that now for all of us, we're being called to a lifelong demeanor of God-glorifying boasting. A lifelong demeanor of God-glorifying boasting. A life that declares sole deo gloria, glory to God alone. That's what your life is to be. You know, it's interesting. You might be successful. You might be knowledgeable. You might be gifted. You might be known. You might have much. You might have a big house. You might have a nice car. You might have plenty of money. You might have children who are good at sports. They're educated. And maybe they're even phenomenal musicians. And maybe even all of these things. Maybe they have a nice car and a big house. But we are not told to boast in those things. But we are told to boast in this. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so this is calling us to a life of humility. A life of humility. Not tyrant mothers. Not tyrant fathers. Not tyrant wives and tyrant husbands. Or tyrant Christians. Humility. So what area of your life is in need of this God-glorifying boasting? And I'm not talking about like godly self-abasement, actually ungodly self-abasement. But this kind of show. I mean, even coming to church can be that. Well, I came to church. I did my thing. I... I Humble myself before God. Well, that's not, that's not what this is about. But it's about God-glorifying joy and exaltation in God. We're not coming here out of duty. At least we're not to. But to come here out of delight in God. We're not going and reading the word in the morning as we get on our knees before God before his word and seek his face in prayer because it's like this self-abasement where we're thinking, man, look what I did today. We do it because we love God, because he is our joy and we are glorying and exalting him. A life of humility. And this is also calling us to a life of exalting God. So friends, you may hear that and go, "Wow, you know, well, that just sounds boring. A life of exalting God? Well, if that's what you think, I just want to encourage you that somewhere within you, something is off in your view of God. Do you know that everything that you enjoy, that even like apart from sinful pleasures, I'm talking about it just enjoying the good things in this world. God made those. Like laughter, he 
He made laughter. Do you think that God is boring? He's the one who makes things not boring. Right? And it's ironic. Our joy grows as our hearts and thoughts and affections are more fully his. It's so ironic. We begin going and searching all over the place for this joy, and it's only found as we love him more, enjoy him more, exalt him more, worship him more, ponder him more, that our joy begins to just soar. But we're more regularly pondering his word and his ways and his redemption. And so let me ask you, are you spiritually dry this morning? Well, don't go pointing fingers at everyone else. Don't even point the finger here. You need to be searching your own heart. You need to begin looking right here. Are you exalting in God? Are you pondering and glorying in him and his word? You come away from the word not saying, I got, the, I got, the, I got checked off. Good job, Andrew. But you come away saying, did I get anything from this today? Or even taking something and saying, I'm going to ponder this for the rest of the day and think on how God is gracious or merciful or kind when he made me. He made my children. He called me to be a parent. What grace. Or even say, you gave me my mom. Thank you, Lord. You did that. Pondering these things. And so this is calling us to a life of humility, a life of exalting God. And this is calling us to a life that impacts the generations. A life that impacts the generations. And this brings us back to Mother's Day. How deeply do you think a mother who exalts God, a grandmother who exalts God like this, will impact the generations, right? Their main goal is not that their children will be their trophy, not that their children will be their idols, not that their children will go away even praising men, but they would go out praising God. Do you think that will affect others? Do you think that will affect what kind of mother you are and grandmother you are? Children, grandchildren, families will see who is your priority. Who will such a woman and such a mother not impact? She will impact them and she will impact every single person in this room. Not because she's trying to get her place. You better show me who, you better be grateful. You better, whatever. She wants him exalted. Do you think that will have an effect on Christ's church? Do you think that will have an effect on unbelievers around her? Yeah. We think so often that the key to our happiness is being made much of. But it's not that. It's making much of him who called us and chose us and redeemed us. So 
So as you and I and all of us take up this passage this morning as mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, whoever you are, may we be humbled. May we consider God's calling. And may we let our, may, be, may we, may you let your boasting be in the Lord. As Paul says here, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you for this humbling word from your word. Lord, I know as I sat these things before everyone here this morning, you have been doing a work in my own heart throughout the week, humbling me. The things that people here don't see. I pray that your word, not because of me, but because of you and your word and your spirit, you would humble us this morning. You would help us to see where our eyes are to be. That we would glory in Christ and give all glory to Christ. And that in doing that, we don't miss out. We actually gain everything. We lose our life to find it. And so we pray, Father, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ this morning, that they have been boasting in themselves. And yet, every time they do, they look down and they find, well, actually, I had no reason to boast. They have no righteousness. They have no sanctification. They have no redemption. We pray, Lord, that today they would see that Christ is the one who can save them, redeem them, and make them yours. And so we pray that you would open their hearts. They would not trust in themselves or anything they've done. No church attendance, no good thing, no bad thing, but only Christ. We pray for us as your children. Help us, Lord. Oh, Lord, even as we long, we pray, humble us and make us humble. May we live a life of humility, a life that exalts you, God, a life that impacts the generations. May our boast be in the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.